Father, may your word be our only rule. Might your spirit be our only teacher. And might our only goal be to glorify you today. In the name of our Savior, we ask it. Amen. Please be seated. As you know, I'm usually the one who preaches from the the epistles. Uh, That's usually the things that I enjoy doing. But I have to admit that after I took a look and saw what the gospel was, I just thought I need to to take a look at this gospel for us today. Um, It's a passage of scripture that probably uh, most of us, probably all of us, have heard at one time or another. It's the it's the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Now, I realize that there are some who don't think that this is a parable, uh, but I, I personally think that we're looking at a parable here. And when we go in here, one of the things that sometimes happens with us is that we get caught up in what heaven is going to be like and what hell is going to be like. Well, those things are important parts of this passage, but it's definitely not the main part of this passage. This passage, it seems to me, seems to be that if we look at God's word and find what God's word has to say, then we will live as our chorus said. That was, by the way, fantastic uh, chorus for our, uh, for our gradual. Uh, it's God's word that brings us to, to Jesus Christ. It's God's word that brings us to life. So as we look at this passage, I want us to look with the idea that it's God's words and God's words that lead to eternal life. Now, if the emphasis is not on what heaven is like or what hell is like or whatever, then what can we learn from this passage of Scripture? And I'd like to share that with you. The first thing that I would say to you is that we need to understand the context here. When uh, the, uh, We need to look at it uh, as a parable, just as verses 1 through 13. The Pharisees uh, that we look at were a religious group of Jews who were particularly noted for their belief in a resurrection and the strict observance of both the written and the oral laws that they believed came down from Moses. Oftentimes we think that the Pharisees were here as long as uh, the Old Testament was, but the truth is that Pharisees really don't come into prominence or into being until the time of the Maccabees, which is about 160 B.C., so it's during that intertestamental time, the time between 400 when, uh, right, uh, as Malachi was written, and the beginning of the New Testament when we start probably um, perhaps as early as 48 uh, A.D. Uh, with some of the Gospels having been written. The period between the writing of Malachi and the writing of the Gospels we, in, we talk about as being the intertestamental times. During this time, the synagogues and everything that went along with it were were important. A group that we often see with the uh, Pharisees are the scribes, and the scribes were those who knew the scriptures well. And what happens is that they lay them out for them. And as we look at this passage of scripture, it seems to me that we're looking uh, at a a group of people, a man who may well have been a Pharisee. And the first thing that I would say that we can learn from this particular passage of Scripture is that we learn that neither wealth, poverty, standing, or ethnic background have anything to do with the outcome of our eternal destiny. We know from the context that the people, uh, that, that the Pharisees loved money. You'll see in verse 14 
of this chapter, it says the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him, and he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts, for what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So that's the context in which this parable is being written. We have the rich man and Lazarus, and we take a look at it, and it begins. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, and he was covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sore. So we look at it, and one of the things that we see is that we see a rich man and we see a poor man. Now, let me hasten to say, just because one is rich does not mean he will go to hell, nor does it mean if you are poor that you are automatically going to heaven. That's not the point. The point of this parable is, what are you doing with God's word and the promises that God's word makes as we come out of there? Apparently, the rich man had everything that he needed. You read there. He has purple. One of the purple uh, came from a, uh, a, uh, a dye uh, that was made of, I think, small sea uh, creatures that were crushed. It was expensive. Don't, you know, whatever you say about it, if, if, if they were wearing purple, they had money. You know, it was there. And they had fine linen. It wasn't something that was spun uh, off. It was fine linen. And it says that he feasted sumptuously, not just one day a week, but every day. In other words, he had fine clothes. He had fine food. He had everything earthly that one could want to have. Okay? Then we also know that later on he will call... Uh, uh, he, will, he will say to Abraham, Father Abraham, he will identify with the faith of Abraham, but apparently will not follow the faith that Abraham followed. Okay? In other words, he was a Jew, and he knew, he knew what the law was, particularly if he was a Pharisee. He had that down pat. Okay? So he knew what was taking place, but what we see happening is that in this, he wasn't exactly what Abraham would have been. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 9, Jesus says, And do you presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father? For I tell you, God is able for these stones to raise up children for Abraham. The idea of some Jewish people was that if you were a part of the Jewish faith, everything was good. I get in by virtue of the fact that I am part of Israel. I am part of the covenant people. And basically what we find out here is that that's not the case. Okay? The thing we also find out is that we have this poor man. This poor man is, it is, uh, is laying there. He would just, all he wanted was, just give me the scraps from your table. Give me the scraps that you have. And uh, what we see happening is that apparently that didn't happen. There is nothing in here 
that showed that this rich man showed any mercy to anyone or anything. Let me just say to you, it looks to me from this passage of Scripture that what we believe is what we will disseminate in our lives. For this man, his, his certainty was found in his riches. He thought, I've got it all together. I don't need anything else. I've got it made. And his life showed that. I don't care about anything else. What we know of the Pharisees is that they were self-righteous. Luke 18, 9 through 14. They looked down on others who did not elevate the law as they did or who were not legalists such as they were. Jesus said that his disciples should be careful of the Pharisees who were hypocrites. Time after time in the New Testament, Jesus refers to their hypocritical behavior, which is exhibited which is exhibited by the Pharisees. He's particularly critical of the keeping of the law, but the failure of doing those things that God wanted to have done. Over in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, it says, Woe to you, scribes and... By the way, we could read a lot of woes in, in chapter 23 of Matthew. I'm just going to read one, because you all accuse me of having long sermons. I can't believe that you would say that about me, but okay. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and deal and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Isn't it interesting? Next time you come in to give your offering, bring your deal and your mint and your cumin. I have no idea what we're going to do about it. Maybe we can use them on Wednesday nights. Okay? But what was happening is they said everything needs to be tithed to God. So they would get in their kitchen and they would get these things and they would bring 10% of it. But did you notice what they did? The weightier matters of the law. What are the weightier matters of the law? Justice and mercy and faithfulness. What is the implication from this passage? The implication from this passage is that this rich man could care less, could not care less about Lazarus. That's the implication. There were needs. He, he, they would keep every jot and tittle to make sure that the law was being followed but they didn't care about the feelings and the needs of other people. That's what a Pharisee is. He has all of the laws that are put together, and he says, this is what needs to be done, but I don't care about anybody else. How about the passage that we read in Amos? What did the passage say? You lay on your beds, and you don't care about the people out there. We look at the psalm. What does the psalm remind us? The psalm reminds us that we need to be God's hands and feet to reach out and, and nourish and love and care about the people of others. We go over to 1 Timothy, and it begins with, but don't do these things. Don't do what? Well, the concept is they loved money, but don't love money. Instead, live godliness. 
the suggestion that, that I have for you is this. When, when we look, when we look at this passage, one of the things that we learn from it is what is in our heart will be shown in our lives. Okay? Over in James it says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So Abraham, God goes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I've made a promise to you. I promised that you would be a great nation, and I promised you that it would come through uh, your son, right? Now I want you to take your son up and I want you to sacrifice him. Abraham could have said, right on, God, I believe that you're the God who can give me the, uh, the nation. I believe. But you know what, God? This thing about taking my son up there, I don't think so. But that's not what he did. He believed that God knew what was best for him, and he believed that he knew what God had for him, and he moved to do the things that God asked him to do. My friends, when God is in our heart, truly in our heart, then things will be what God wants them to be in our lives. There will not be the hypocrisy of the, of, of the Pharisees that say, I come to church every Sunday morning, check that one off. Will not be, I tithe 10%, check that one off. Oh, I better not say that. Uh, check that one off. You know, or I check this off, or I check that off. What he's basically saying to us is, I want you to place your faith in me and depend on me. What were these guys looking at? These guys were saying, I've got it all on my own. Now we can sit here and say, gee, I'm not rich, so don't you're not talking to me. But a lot of us have an, uh, a lot of us have a, a, a number of things that we rely on rather than God Himself. I love that first hymn where, don't let us have those idols, God. Let us glorify you in the things. And that's what we have in this passage. That's why, that's why, the, that's why the rich man went to Hades, or a place of torment, and he, uh, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes, and that's why um, uh, Lazarus went to a place of blessing not because they were poor or rich or whatever, but it, the implication here is that they were following the word of God to put their faith in what God had to say. We are not talking about faith plus works that brings us to salvation. What we are talking about is faith that leads to good works because we trust God. And that's the implication that we have in this passage. We come on down through, and we learn that death comes to both rich and poor. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or whether you're poor. The scriptures teach all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. 
In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it says that it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. Based on what we've done with Jesus Christ in this life. Eternal death comes from failure to place one's faith in the provisions that God has made. We could go over to John chapter 3 where he's talking to Nicodemus. And he, he begins by saying, For God so loved the world, Nicodemus, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then it comes on down and says, Whoever believes in uh, I'm sorry, uh, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. You know, the interesting thing is that we set up our own Messiah sometimes, and that's exactly what the, 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 the Pharisees and the Sadducees had done. They had decided what the Messiah would look like. And the Messiah would, that they had would be a conquering hero that would make them part of the court. Because they were ones who kept every jot and tittle of the law. But what do we have? The Messiah did come and they didn't believe him. And by the way, it's before he died on the cross that those words are said to Nicodemus. Isn't that amazing? The gospel has always been preached. That God is the one who reaches down in mercy and in grace. We note that there is eternal torment for those who have not placed their faith in God. For the rich man, just a drop of water, just a drop of water, Father Abraham. Let Lazarus come down. Just a drop of water. You know, the interesting thing was, he says, can't be done. I can't send Lazarus over there, and you can't come here. Torment is something that is real when we are apart from God. Isn't it amazing, he said, you know, when, when Lazarus was alive, he didn't have anything. <laughs> now he's with me, he has everything. You, on the other hand, had everything while you were alive. Now you don't even have water. In other words, this passage teaches us that there are blessings for those who are true children of Abraham, who live by faith in God, and tor uh, torment for those who fail to live by faith in God. One last thing that I want to say to you, in short, is this. We learn that God's word is the method by which eternal life comes. Isn't this a great passage? Isn't it amazing? This guy is now in eternal torment, and he finally is thinking about somebody else. This is what he says. He says, but Abraham said, child, remember that you are in the time you seek. And he says, uh, down in verse 27, he said, then I beg you, Father, to send Lazarus to my father's house. For I have five brothers, so that they may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Isn't this amazing what, what, what Abram says? They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father, Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, 
if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone should come back from the dead. I think the thing that we need to understand is that it's God's word that brings life. There may be miracles, there may be things that happen. Those are not the things that bring life. Those are only illustrations that we have a God who is capable of doing what he said that he can do. Paul says the following in chapter 10. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. Our goal needs to be to know God's word and the message of God's word. The good news is that God has loved us. He has sent his son for us. He gave his life. We are reminded each week as we take the Eucharist, Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. And when that happens, there will be judgment that will take place. He will look to see those who have accepted his son, Jesus Christ. By the way, there is no, uh, uh, one of the things that, uh, that, that, that we should rail against is cheap faith. Cheap faith is not, okay, I've got a, I've got a, a, a fire escape from hell. Now I don't have to do anything. That's not what the gospel message is all about. The gospel message is that it changes our lives so that we are what God wants us to be. And if that has not happened in our lives, we need to ask ourselves where our faith lies. You know, don't you, don't you, <laughs> Lazarus says, or, or the rich man says, send Lazarus back. And, and he says, listen, if I send Lazarus back, they didn't believe Moses. They didn't believe the prophets. By the way, when we start to talk about Moses and the prophets, we're talking about the Old Testament scriptures. Last week we learned that all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness so that the man of God might be whole. It's God's word. And it's God's word that changes lives. It's not about me. It's not about, it's not about me keeping the jot and tittle. It's me about loving God. The other morning, I w or the other day, I was with a, a guy that I meet with on a weekly basis. And he said, you know, we need that vertical relationship with God where I love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all of my might. And then we can love our neighbors as ourselves. My friends, it is only through God's love to us and his new life in us that we can be what God wants us to be and live the way God wants us to be. You know, we can have all kind of miracles, but if the spirit of God does not work in the heart of man, nothing is going to happen. Let's just take an example. 
We have a man by the name of Lazarus who was the brother and sister, or was the brother of Mary and Martha. You remember him, don't you? You remember what happened to him? He died. You also remember what happened to him, don't you? Christ raised him. You remember how that turned out? Let me read a portion of scripture from John. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Now, listen to the next verse. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Unless the Spirit of God works through God's word, you know what will happen? The one comes back from the dead. Those who don't see it will want him to put back to death because it will put them out of their, you know, get away. He's dead. I don't have to deal with this. But then we had one other person who came back from the dead, don't we? Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. What did they try to do with him? They paid off the guards. Say that someone came and stole his body. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing that the disciples continued to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead? So in closing, let me just say this. Jesus said to his disciples, or, 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 or gives us this. In our book of common prayer, uh, and, and if you want, if, if you ever want to look it up, it's on page 868 in your book of common prayer. These are the words. On the sufficiency of the Holy Scriptures for salvation, Holy Scripture containeth all things necessary to salvation. In the Scriptures, we would learn you and I are fortunate to have been born here in the United States. At Bishop Vitalis here last week, many of his young people don't have a Bible to take a look at, but you and I do. You and I have that. We can look at it because in the Bible are the words of life. Not only eternal life, but life for each and every day. God gives us direction. It reminds us that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. We learn from the scriptures that we're not saved because of skin color or social status or our ethnic background. We are saved by God's grace through faith, not because we've done anything to deserve it, but because of God's rich mercy. He sent his spirit to give us newness of life so that we can become his disciples. And as his disciples, our responsibility is to make other disciples. And how do we do that? As we go each day, we bring them to a place where they recognize that Jesus is the one who died. And then, do you know what else he tells us? Teaching them all things. We need to know God's word to teach them all things. Teach them all the commandments of the Old Testament. How did, Jesus, how did Jesus wrap up the commandments when he was asked? You will love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all of your strength. You love God with everything that you have. 
Are you completely dependent on him, recognizing that everything that you have, you have because of him? And then he said, and the second commandment is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And we go back to those passages that say, do you live with faith in Jesus Christ so that you show mercy and justice and loving kindness to the people that you come in contact with? My friends, the story of rich man and Lazarus is indeed there is eternal punishment for those who don't know Jesus Christ, and there's eternal life for those who do. But that eternal life starts right now. We do what God wants us to do. Amen.